All right, and we are back on the air with Robin Cody. I am the BIQ, the Barbarian in Question, and it's so good to have you here every Sunday with us on WMUA Amherst from 12 to 2. So we were just talking about in- internal and external motivations and wanted to remind you that you please give us a call and let us know what motivates you. Our phone number is 413-545-3691. 413-545-3691. And I want to point out, that if you are listening and can't manage to get to your phone and call us, you have zero motivation, right? (laughs) You are lacking in any kind of motivation, my friend. So, (laughs) what can I do to get you to call us? The first caller will receive... (laughs) No, no extra... No, why not? (laughs) Why can't I do that? The first... Because it's a motivation killer. No, not if it's a game. Not if it's a game. So that's where we're going. Right, but... that's this is we're getting into sort of tricky territory. You know, we're about to talk about um, you're going to jam up my first contest <laughs> on Barbarian in the Valley. <laughs> That's what you're going to do. No, the forgive first me. I don't caller, kill your the motivation. first caller at four one three five four five three six nine one four one three five four five three six nine one will receive a signed. What should I sign? copy of a barbarian in the valley yeah. t-shirt uh, they're not made yet we're in the process of making t-shirts that's going to happen the first caller 413-545-3691 will get a signed copy signed and framed copy of a 2014 chevy impala or from how the about BIQ. this so this is another example okay. or the first caller could enjoy a process in which together mm. we figure out some okay. tr- some deep truth about their particular motivation. Okay, so we can actually... So let's see which one wins. Here. Okay. Oh, I love it. All right. It's like those tip jars. You know, you get to choose which one. So the first caller can make a choice. Do you choose A, a signed copy of a 2014 Chevy Impala God. Uh, framed... You know, with the BIQ, and maybe perhaps Robin Cody will sign it, although she might morally object, it sounds like. Or B, do you want to come on air and work out all those internal mechanisms, which sounds... Have an experience. Have an experience, okay, because you're a sharp intellectual out there, and you're in the spirit of inquiry. And you know you want to be a part of this conversation. 413-545-3691. 413-545-3691, the choice is yours. Now... As we wait for the contest winner, let's talk about sports. Shall we? We shall. Uh, I do not know how to fit sports into this conversation. No? Because, okay, so what we know or about... games. What we know about sports or games is that the best players uh, achieve what's called the zone. They're in the zone. Now, it seems to me that the zone is a state of presence that is totally in sync with both the external environment and the internal environment. There's no necessary, and it might be completely balanced. So maybe that's where we can start and you can object or not. So here's the thing. I'm talking about, this is what I would say. I get what you're, where you're coming from. There has to be a ton of internal motivation 
to become a great athlete like Mookie Betts or something, someone like that, someone who's just really remarkable, external and internal. My claim is that sports are so much a meritocracy that it allows millions of people to give themselves over to it. So yes, they develop internal motivations, but because the rules are so clear and because the way you're graded and the you know results are so much based on like, did you hit the ball over the fence? Like, did you pitch the ball at 99 miles per hour? There's no subjectivity to it. That it allows people, and this is true of other games too, it's not just sports, because the rules are clear and printed somewhere. And you can, you can kind of have arguments with the umpire and stuff like that. It's not perfect, but it's not subjective. That allows someone like Mookie Betts to have internal and external motivation, but for his mind to be at ease and rest, to basically say, well, what I'm engaged in, there's like very discernible, like what's good at this game. It's not like someone's like, well, I didn't like the shape of his swing. The shape of his swing seems like he was thinking too much. No, you either hit the ball or you don't. That's my argument about sports. So let me see if, if I understand you. You're saying that because the rules and the goals of sports and games are so clear, clear. are you telling me that, yeah. that it's primarily externally driven? I'm saying that that part of your brain that's suspicious of external motivation quiets down because ah. you believe there's a fundamental fairness across the board to it. And so then, yes, now I don't know what... The, the so-called raisin here is totally acceptable because you don't feel manipulated. Everyone knows the rules, my rules, the, the fence to hit a home run is the same for you as it is for me. Now, that relaxes... Opposed to trying to become a famous artist. Becoming a famous artist feels like, and I think this is something that you and I can speak to more personally, it just feels like a total labyrinth. Like, where's the rules here? Like, who decides what is, is kind of, what, where, where's, the, where's the wall that I'm supposed to hit the ball over? I think that, though, if we're using sports, I think the raisin in, in a sports situation is really winning the game. That's that's. That's the raisin. And in order to achieve the raisin, you need to go through this really complex process, you know, in which you have to train, condition, oh, yeah. and all of this thing. So instead of it being, um, it's, so it's, it's more like offering a very complex set of processes as the reward. So you have a goal, um, which is to win this game. And by setting the goal, you establish conditions for which people to move through that are complex, that are difficult, that challenge them every single day. And so it's really that that's what's motivating them. So it's a, it's a, it's a great balance between external and, and internal. I, yeah. I don't think that, though, I don't even think that the raisin thing, the raisin in sports is the money. And we can, I don't know, you know, the controversy mm -hmm. around, around the money. But, again, w external... Well, I, I get what you're saying. But I'm trying to say something really quite narrow, which is how you're judged in sports is really factual, really feels factually based. It's not subjective. So maybe it isn't the reason, but it's just the, the, the rules of the game. And we were talking about this on the way over, about gaming, and how when you're gaming something, it doesn't feel heady, it's, you're not confused as to who's like deciding, like who gets to decide who wins a Pulitzer Prize? Well, it's 
you know, six journalists who three of them hate me because I wrote something they didn't like 10 years ago. It, it doesn't feel there's no kind of certainty there. I feel like sports are a great way in which people are like, they kind of just accept the reward system. Like there's not a lot of confusion about it because the raisin's really clear why the raisin's there. It's not subjective. And as I mentioned before, you can be a baseball player and the manager can hate you and the fans can hate you. And if you're hitting above 300, you're playing and you're getting paid. Like it, it, so I guess that's, I'm just trying to say something very narrow about what, what, what external motivations s- we accept. I think what you're trying to say is, is that it's easy to be motivated in sports because the rules are so clearly defined and laid yeah. out. The I external that- rules. Okay, okay, no, maybe not. Just the rules are. Just, just rules. The goal is really clearly defined and the rules are clearly defined. So it's quite easy to feel motivated because you know when you're, you're getting there and you know when you're not. And, and it's fair. Like You don't yeah. feel like someone's been given uh, something that you don't have access to. Yep. It's a meritocracy. Yeah, yeah, I can I can relate to that. Okay. And I think that, you know, what I want to do in my work is set up conditions that make it easy for people to be motivated. Well, let's talk about that then, you know, because, uh, you know, it's interesting. As a teacher, I often have the kids compete against one another. Uh-huh. Like, we compete all the time. Mm-hmm. And they, I give them team names, and they love it. They go, You know, they go crazy. And, and there's a reward. I'll say, well, you get this and this. I almost never give them the reward. And they almost never ask for it. Like, I've offered so many rewards to them that they never follow up on. Like, they love the idea of competing against one another in groups. That alone. Now, it's pretty, uh, it's not like super creative work. You know, it's usually like a quiz bowl thing or some, something else. It's, it can be pretty superficial. It's good team building stuff and it's fun. Um, but if I didn't offer the reward, there has to be some reward. They do demand a reward. They say, well, what are you going to give us? And I say, okay, well, the other team has to say that they're sorry to you and that you are much greater than them and you get three points on the quiz. And they'll say four points. And I'll say <laughs> two points. And then they'll say, okay, three points. And I never <laughs> give them the points on the quiz. Maybe well, I don't know what kids. to say about that, but I'm wondering if the callers also know that you're not going to give that printed No, Impala. I'm definitely... Guys, if you call in and choose the Impala printed framed photo, you're getting this. Like, thank you for undercutting my legitimacy here on Valley, on, you know, Valley-wide no, WMUA I mean, Sachs in this chapter does uh, refer to competition uh, in, in a, what does he call it, you know, like a certain appropriate, to a certain appropriate degree. So it's not, there's no threat there in these certain competitive environments in which, you know, like your students, they're not really threatened, but it's, it's, yeah, they're feeding off of each other's excitement and this kind of natural competitiveness because it's a, it's a game like that, that, you know, there's a clear goal. And what I know from my work is when you have a goal, your, your body actually, as well as your mind, your, your thought processes orient to that goal. So, it's, it's, it's creating goals is very artful, actually, you know, how far out you want to create the goal, how close you want to create the goal, the amount of pressure that you want to put on yourself. It has to be just the right amount of pressure so that you're not overwhelmed, but that you're alert to it and that there's some kind of, um, there's some stimulus there. 
And that seems to me what you're doing in your classroom is creating some kind of stimulus in which there's a goal that everyone can orient around and then, you know, work off of each other. Um, And and I'll say that there's a residue as well. That is, it can be either positive or negative that also fuels the machine. And I think this would go very much to what you're talking about and very much what like you, you would like to do with cultures. So a lot of the times I'll do these kind of like competitions because it just fuels a sense of goodwill and fun that like kind of propels us. It doesn't actually go anywhere specific, but it makes people want to be with each other and be in the class. And so there's almost like this aura around the class at that point. You know, and that's fuel of a kind. It's not like specific fuel. No, but it's almost like the the residue or whatever the kind of uh, the. I can't find the right word from it, but it's a useful byproduct of doing something like that. Oh, absolutely! It's almost the main reason to do it is to generate that goodwill and that energy. You know, because with that, then they're more they're primed to do um, to work together in other ways that might be more specific and might be more uh, utilitarian right you know that's right and I've always felt like that was my goal as a teacher is if I create a peer network in here where the kids like each other they'll learn mm, you know definitely. that's when learning really happens and uh, so when he was talking about the monkeys doing the puzzles I thought that really was great and and it's interesting because I think when the raisin was introduced they're they probably were like, who are you? <laughs> like, where did you come from, from above to drop a raisin down? <laughs> First of all, it's just one raisin. My God. So that's it's what so I want to say. It's just Give like... a Mars bar or something. Right. I mean, that would be... That's a much more enticing offer. Well, it's actually interesting. I know we're kind of joking about it, but it, it is an... Int- okay, so that's... You're telling me that what I just did, which is so awesome, is worth one raisin? What's wrong with you? Exactly. Uh-huh. Like, th- why did you... I wonder if you had laid out a feast for them, whether they have been like, woohoo, yes. Well, you know what I'm remembering now is that um, the Johnson book, the first Johnson ser- uh, book about Johnson, what's that Caro wrote? What's the title of that book? Oh, the Lyndon Johnson. So, Path Lyndon. to Power, maybe? Path I, I can't to remember. Power. But do you remember the first scene in which um, these businessmen are offering Johnson yes. this opportunity, you know, basically what would equivalent to, I mean, was it a billion dollars? Well, was it, if you, it was a couple hundred million. So let me today's. set it up. It, right. Basically, Lyndon Johnson is at a low point in his political career. There's not much room for him to go anywhere politically, it would seem. And a bunch of Texas oil men come to him and say, come on, let's, let, let's help you get rich here. And Lyndon Johnson had been born poor and had a desperate desire for wealth as well. Like, they knew that. I mean, he was like that. And it was like 1952 or something like that. And he rejects it. He rejects this deal, which would have been worth whatever. Made him super wealthy. Because why? Because he knew that he wanted to be president someday. And if he took this money, he would never be president. And he knew. If he took this oil money, he would never be president. I don't know why that is, but... Uh, yeah. Well, there's Teapot Dome scandal and all kinds of stuff okay. that, that was much more pressing. Anyway, he time. knew he had to make a choice. And so here we go. And this starts to become theological almost. You, yeah. know, you know, this is the devil saying, here's the money, here's the riches, here's the Mars bar. And we often have to make choices about, you know, which path we're going to take. And there's a lot of warnings in, in theological texts about, you know, beware of temptations, right? Um, 
so, so right. Who cares about a raisin when we're solving these big complex puzzles? Mm-hmm. The monkeys don't care. But if they were offered this very high... Something a little bit more significant. Mars bar or worse, heroin, whatever, sure. you know. So now we start to get really... Uh, we start to really challenge uh, challenge this idea of motivation and dopamine and how it sort of plays out in the in the in the brain structures, which I think is an important part of the discussion. You well, know? And, I, and I will say I want to make a small advertisement. Some of the finest books I've ever read are these books, Robert Caro's books about Lyndon Johnson. They're a very famous biography, and they're I don't know six or seven volumes and thousands of pages, and. They, those books certainly are a study in motivation. Uh, that's, they are, absolutely. They really it's are. fascinating. Strategic motivation and... Um, what his motivation was, ab- I mean, really complex. Very, and the- theological would be a good word for it. Yeah. It verges. And I, I was wondering also, you know, we talk about, when we were, walk- when we were biking over, you were talking about, you know, our society's really ex- external motivation, you know. That's, well, I was talking about these little drips. Yeah, yeah. Dopamine drips. I think it's fair to say that we're set up in a contractual way to be fairly externally motivated. Absolutely, sure. That's not necessarily the history of mankind, however. You know, medieval motivation probably wasn't external so much. Of course, you had salvation and heaven and hell. But I wonder if in that construct, internal motivation, to be good, you know, to have faith... Is, is more important. I, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. It might be a little bit of a tangent to where we're no, going. No, I definitely think it relates. Um, and, you know, it is a little bit of a big, bigger subject. And I think that we need to... I think back then there was both internal and external motivation as it relates to a religious life, a spiritual life. Um, here, it seems like, well, again, we have to be careful, but, you know, in, in the world that we, we are in, the sort of class and social structure that we're in, typically spiritual life is much more intrinsically motivated. It's not like, you know, we're going to get a lot of rewards or accolades for any kind of spiritual practice that we do. I, I mean... Well, that can be right. No, not necessarily right because it depends on what community you're in. I mean, some people do though. Some people become very famous in the spiritual world, and you know, we know who those people are, and so maybe that's a different discussion. Um, But I understand what you're talking about is if an actual internal process, not the one that goes viral or the you know best-selling book, but an actual spiritual. Of course, that kind of like the puzzles that the monkeys were solving. And we talked also about this, is its own reward, which just makes it such a nice closed system. And, and same with art. I think that art production, at least at the beginning, is kind of its own reward. It's so satisfying. You don't really need validation from anywhere. Now, at a certain point, you may start to need that kind of external motivation because you, how long are you going to be in the tower tinkering? Now, some people can do it their whole lives. A lot, yeah, a some lot people of Some people can tinker do. their whole lives. But for a lot of us, and so that is, goes to what you were talking about earlier too. When does, I think so, so many good things start internally. I'm going to go ahead on a limb and say so many really deeply creative and interesting projects start with internal motivation, not external. Which makes okay, sense. Okay, I mean, I could even challenge you on that. But. Well, let me tell you why you shouldn't challenge me on that. Um, is that external motivation is what society already wants. It's already asking for it. 
right? It's already saying, give us more of this and we'll give you this. Give us more of this and we'll give you this. Whereas internal motivation doesn't really have anything to do with society's wants from us. It's like, oh, this is so cool. I just saw this. I can really start building and developing it. And so that's my argument. Yeah. So why am I wrong? Well, I'm just remembering our little boy Rockwell and, and um, how the other day... I, I've been watching him swim with this floaty that really didn't support him that much. I knew he could take it off, but he was scared. And so I offered him a popsicle to take it off. And that was what it took for him to really... Oh, was that the diving board or the floaty? That was the floaty, and okay. then I did it again for the diving huh. board. And it worked both times. And so sometimes... And this is true if you watch if you watch children develop they're always reaching for something external like you put a toy just out of reach for a kid and they will uh, they will they will move towards it and that's that's very much how we how we grow and how we develop that's external but it's also there's this must be this internal structure that kind of helps teach us how to do that um, so external motivation can really help us get over our fear. It can be, it can be um, again, a goal, like having orienting around a really specific, clear goal can um, be very, very useful for us. Oh, we have a phone call. Okay. Oh, we do Should have I a phone keep call. talking? Or? No, no, no. Let's, uh, you can. You're always welcome to. I'm just going to pick this up right now, and I'm also going to bring it up. Who am I speaking to right now? Well, let me let me get you actually up here. All right. Um, okay, who are we speaking to right now? Woo! You know, I should do this. We should do the show like this more often. I'm out in Munson, and you're I'm out in Munson. sitting next to yep, sitting poolside. So you're I'm in a remote location. Okay, good. Now listen. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about motivation, internal and external motivation. Okay, and I was so motivated to get a caller that I actually texted you and forced you to call. Now, I know, that was, that was initiative. That was good. That is initiative. Now, we were going to ask you, <laughs> the first caller was the winner. And you happened to be the winner because you called, even though I was so motivated to text you so that you would call. So it seemed to people listening to the show that other people are, in fact, listening to the show and on the podcast. Would you accept, as a reward for calling us in, the external motivation of a signed 2014 Impala framed photo Signed by me, the barbarian in question, or do you just want to be There's an or? Or. No. I want something. I want something tangible. You want external motivation. Or give him the other option. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. Or you can participate in in this very um, thoughtful and hopefully illuminating discussion about what, what really drives you. So the... The thing that you're actually taking away is insight. Waylon? Wait, okay, okay. First <laughs> off, this, this seems kind of like one of those um, those deals where you go in and it's like the time, they're show, selling you on a timeshare. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, okay, you here's trust? your tickets. Here's your tickets. Or you could sit here and learn how to make a hundred dollars a day That's from right. home. That's right. Very <laughs> suspicious. Hers is very suspicious. Mine you can count on. What do you think? What's your answer? Do you want the signed Chevy Impala framed photograph signed by the barbarian in question, or do you want... Describe it again, please, Robin. 
<laughs> yeah, and you got to sell this, Rob. This is very, so this is a very interesting here. moment because mm-hmm. this might come, and you know, we were hesitant about talking about this, but but what motivates a sort of masculine? Uh, what's a masculine She's motivator? She's afraid that you've already made up versus your mind. a feminine oh, yeah. motivator. But okay, okay, Waylon, what this is is I want you to imagine that you know you will participate in a very engaged and thoughtful conversation about what really motivates you. And so what you're gaining is insight. What you're gaining is an actual experience. Or the photo. Picture. Okay. <laughs> now listen. Okay. okay. Listen, we got listen, that. Listen, we got listen. that loud and clear. Yeah, I think that with Waylon, it's a lot of external stuff. Okay. <laughs> like he's, his a picture, engine, a picture. Well, his, his engine's running all, at all times. He doesn't need any internal motivation. So right. it's all external. I mean, he's just a freak of nature. So since I have you on the phone and since this is how we usually end the show, I'm going to ask you, both of you, how you what, what the next week holds for you. Robin, what's up for the next week for you? Oh, we're going on a family vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Just at the moment that our son is in the most impossible he's ever been. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> that should be fun. Uh, Waylon, what about you? What's up for you this week? I, well, so, uh, this week or next week? Next week? No, this week. This week. Oh, this week I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. Cool side right now, and I played Dungeons and Dragons finally. Oh, good. How did Lothar do? How did what do? Lothar. Lothar the Barbarian, or whatever you guys call him. First off, first off, it's Bullvine the Brash. Yeah, yeah, Bullvine the Brash. Okay, Okay. sorry. I feel he feels insulted. You better watch out. He has good. He has good intimidating rolls. Yeah, he rolls very high in his intimidation. So. So I'm going to we'll say see. goodbye now. <laughs> well, how did you do? We I mean, love you. this is Waylon. I mean, he, he didn't oh, let him finish. Did you win? Oh, no, we haven't played yet. We're oh, okay. Been playing, played. I, I'm, I'm saving up all my energy. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Bye, bye. And Robin, I'm definitely going to take you up on those insights. I'm a band that we're going to do the picture. All right, pal. Awesome. Awesome. So good to hear from you, Waylon. All right. Yeah. I'll talk to you guys later. Okay. Right. Bye. All right, and that is going to be it for Barbarian in the Valley for this week. Stay tuned next week. In fact, Waylon's going to be on next week. We're going to start a cult, so how about that? (laughs) Have a great week. Robin, you want to say goodbye to everyone? Goodbye, everybody. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you.